0: What's going on, guys? Patrick and Cam here for a really awesome episode of Men's Health Unscripted. We have Dr. Jorge Reveron. Um, He is a naturopath, and his main focus right now is on men's health. So you're here on Men's Health Unscripted. We're going to talk about men's health, and I think his perspective is very similar to ours, just based on previous conversations, and maybe it won't sound so much like coming from us all the time, like a parent just, you know, barking at their kids. So check out what Dr. Jorge has to say. Uh, We're going to talk about a lot of different things today. Testosterone, I think that's probably some of our viewers' favorite subjects. We're going to talk about metabolic syndrome, and we'll kind of dive into a little bit more about what that is, mental health, lifestyle, and uh, everybody's, I think maybe our favorite topic, erectile dysfunction. So Dr. Jorge, thank you for coming on.
1: Thank and, you for having me,
0: uh, Cam. How you doing today? We're here. We're tired, but we're here. <laughs> last, <laughs> we are, year, last year's been heavy. Yeah, we are tired, but we're still here for men's health. Awesome. So, uh, Doctor Jorge, um, how, how's it going? How's everything going?
1: Doing good. I'm and I'm in Oregon, so the temperatures are starting to drop, and it's wet season, so it's starting to rain a little bit more now. So, but I'm enjoying it. So. But other than that, I'm doing good and trying to stay alert.
0: Well, we can't thank you enough for coming on and and sharing some time with us and sharing some time with our viewers. So let's get started. What exactly is a naturopath?
1: So it's a good question. Uh, Not very many people know what a naturopath is. So I'm always trying to educate people on what naturopathic medicine is and what a naturopathic doctor is. So naturopathic medicine is basically what I like to call the integration of Western medicine with traditional medicine or Eastern medicine. Um, A lot of the people who study naturopathic medicine go through a four-year program, a medical school program. And there's seven schools in the United States. So we all get licensed in family medicine. And then from there we get specialized into different things. Um, So some of the core things that we learn in naturopathic medicine, it's not just general medicine, but we also go through pharmacology. We also go botanical medicine. Uh, depending on the school you go to, you also learn some Chinese medicine, you learn nutrition, you learn physical medicine, you also learn uh, a little bit of mental health stuff and homeopathy. So, so we have a big tool set to use, and we all bring it back down to you know trying, trying to get to our core philosophy as getting to the root of the issue, you know, treating the whole person, not just the individual parts. Uh, we're looking at Using nature to heal the body. So you know the body has a very innate ability to heal itself. It's a very smart organism. Um, the system that we have is meant to heal itself if we give it the proper nutrition and give it the proper resources for it to do that. Um, so you know there are six of them. Um, I can go through all six of them, but we can move on from there. Uh, but basically, we're just looking at the root, getting to the root cause, identifying what's going on, and You've seen the ability of the body to heal itself by supporting it and getting people healthy.
0: That's awesome. I, uh, I completely agree. I feel like the body is, isn't just like this machine that's made to break. It also has an innate ability to heal itself. And even our time with men's health unscripted, we've definitely seen how some people have made some lifestyle changes and, and choices to benefit them and how, they do heal uh, just outside of seeing what you see on lab numbers and, and outside of paperwork, but actually how they feel and how they're performing.
1: Right, right. You know, part of that, you know, the process that we go through in immense visit is looking at not only how they're feeling, not looking at their lab numbers, but actually just getting the history, getting to know what's going on in their lives, because the story, there, you know, when they're talking to you, you actually get a lot of information that's not found in the lab. So you're not just treating the lab values; you're treating the person itself. So it's really eye-opening eye and refreshing that we have this approach, more holistic approach.
2: It is really good. It's really different for patients as well. You know, something, some other than the, the brick-and-mortar hospital or clinic you go to visit. Um, so with that being, you know, in mind. Uh, what in like training wise, or what uh, what kind of separates you guys from your your specialty? I would say, from you know regular the regular MDs, you know the ones that go to the regular med schools, or what we consider to be regular.
1: So you know our naturopathic medicine school, it's like I mentioned, we do not only general medicine, family medicine aspect, but we learn like the botanical medicine, nutrition, uh, physical medicine. So we learn all of that. Post graduation, you know, we can go and specialize a little bit more in either hormone health, or like endocrine medicine, or not medicine, but endocrine um, specialization, or there's pediatric, we also have cancer care. Uh, we don't necessarily treat cancer, but we do adjunctive care with a lot of oncologists as well. Um, I personally don't work with cancer, just it's a very difficult subject to really be around. So yes, it is. I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> not a, I'm not a cancer person. So, but you no, know, we have the ability to work with a lot of other professionals, healthcare professionals, and either adjunctive care or co-teaming, whether you know we have a psychologist on board for counseling, we have, you know, that, you know, we actually we use a lot of pharmacies, compounding pharmacies for a lot of the treatments that we do too. So, you know, we have a pharmacist or a pharmacy, uh, we have, you know, the psychologist, we also have MDs, DOs, optometrists, and things like that, in order to have a, a well-rounded team. Um, as far as what distinguishes our, like, different people it's really depends on our like naturopaths from naturopaths Um, so we have what's licensed naturopathic doctors and then we also have some that are not licensed so the licensed naturopathic doctors go through a four-year program that you know you go through an intensive vigorous program of not only clinical medicine lectures and didactics and clinical but um you also have you know other additional studies that you have to do Um, After that, you have to pass two board exams to be licensed in whatever state that you're in. Now, we're not licensed in all states, but we do have some states that we're licensed in, such as Oregon, Arizona, Washington, California. Um, And each state has a different scope of practice, so the most wide scope of practice where we can utilize everything that we learn are going to be in Washington, Oregon, and Arizona
0: it's interesting so those are the states that basically you can practice to the full scope of of your knowledge and your license right okay very cool I think we do have some naturopath uh, doctors here in Tampa I don't know um, exactly what they specialize in but I think
1: yeah Florida is an interesting state because you're not allowed to practice naturopathic medicine in Florida from what I recall Um, it's actually illegal in Florida Okay. so if they're a naturopath they might be practicing under an acupuncture license or they might be an rn or a nurse practitioner but they still bring in that holistic mindset to whatever practice they're doing
0: right i think that we do have a a first degree relationship with a doctor of chinese medicine slash acupuncturist i think Mm -hmm. is how that they're how they're practicing but um buddy she knows a lot so yeah um, she know I feel like she knows more than me sometimes I don't really know anything but it's just uh, kind of interesting how much she knows about pharmacology and medications and um, we're in school for specializing in this and I'm like this lady really knows her stuff so very interesting um, cam do you have something sorry
2: yeah I was gonna say you know it's, it's on our uh, our law exam coming up you know at the end, in the middle of next year that yeah so the natural paths don't have like license abilities in our state, but they do, they are like the ones that existed are grandfathered in. So Mm -hmm. there's not that many that are left, if if any at all are left.
1: Right. I don't think I know anybody in Florida or some of the other states too, in the East coast don't have very many naturopathic doctors.
0: Right. So Dr. Jorge, how did you um, get involved in men's health? It's such a niche area. Um, We got involved in men's health because we just didn't feel like it was discussed enough. Um, Do you have a similar background or or what what really started guiding your passion that way?
1: Uh, It's similar background. You know, I got into family medicine because I really wanted to do primary care as a naturopathic doctor. And, you know, you see mostly women and children in primary care uh, practice. So I started thinking about like, okay, what can we do to get men to come in? Because I started reading a little bit more about men. I I have one of my mentors who actually works a lot with prostate cancer up in New York. And I was like, well, why aren't we talking about this a lot with our men or seeing men come in? Even though I know we're more holistic, you would think that maybe some men will be more uh, prone to go and get checked up that way, but nope, we weren't. I started just kind of studying a little bit more about men's health, wanting to try to attract more men's health into the practice. And, you know, that evolved into like kind of starting to focus on a niche. Um, And then what really hit the nail in the coffin for going this route. I don't know if that's the correct term for that, but
2: (laughs) (laughs) it works. uh,
1: Yeah. So um, what really set me on the path to men's health was my dad got a heart attack. I wasn't there, Uh, but I know that, you know, if he would have done some checkups and things like that, then, you know, things could have been a little bit more preventative for him. Uh, But luckily, you know, my family was really open to some of the suggestions I was doing. So, or suggesting for them to do at that time. And my dad got, you know, healthy again. Um, I monitored some of his lab work just to kind of see like what's going on. I didn't order the labs. I didn't do any of that. And like he kept going to his doctors, but I just kind of kept an eye on them just to be able to be more of a patient advocate for him and his doctors. So, and I'm doing the same thing now with my grandfather. My grandfather came in from South America and you know he's having some health issues, but a lot of doctors don't want to address it or they're not addressing it in a way that I think they should be addressed. So I'm just trying to practice a little bit more patient advocate with my family in the men side of my family. And, you know, that's basically how I just decided I'm going to stop doing mostly family practice and focus on men's self. And now I've been doing this for the last probably six months or so, just trying to focus a little bit more on men's self.
0: That's really interesting my my father uh, and well my whole fi- uh dad's side of my family has a pretty significant history of heart disease, and that was kind of one of the reasons why I got into it so I definitely share that with you um, and and uh, I know we kind of exchanged some emails and heart disease is definitely one of those silent killers you don't know you got it till you got it right
1: definitely yes, it's a silent killer and you uh, know that's one of the things I wanted to teach people or at least try to teach my audience is that the heart disease is a silent killer and but we can start looking at some of the lifestyle factors that can help you prevent some of these things from coming on and looking at the lab work and doing more like more functional medicine type stuff
2: well it's something we all can kind of see in ourselves you know once in a while you see you know you, you maybe think something or act a certain way and you're like oh this is that typical stereotype you know that we we happen to see so it's right. it's we always have that drive to kind of at least try to help with others and kind of build ourselves up with what we know we should be doing or at least should
0: be thinking. Right. Right. At the end of the day, I mean, we kind of have to be setting the example. Um, And so we don't necessarily, you know, as far as men's health unscripted goes, we don't ever tell anybody to subscribe to a certain lifestyle or diet, but we do give suggestions of things that we have found that do have good clinical data behind them. And um, you can take what you want, and there might not work for everybody, but take the ones that you want and then leave the ones that you don't. And, um, even if you're taking some of it, you're probably helping yourself feel a little bit better, doing a little bit better. But I did want to talk a little bit about metabolic syndrome. Um, this is something we, I don't think we've really talked, we've talked about in different kind of, uh, areas, but we've never talked about the whole thing. So Um, What exactly is metabolic syndrome? And then we'll get into the issues that that can lead to.
1: So metabolic syndrome is a group of conditions that occur in people. Um, So it's going to be obesity or rate gain is going to be one of the signs that you're going to head towards metabolic syndrome. Um, High cholesterol. So that's another one. Um, Blood pressure issues are going to be another one. And it's just a cluster of conditions. Right. And then over time, you know, these things can lead to diabetes, it can lead to heart disease, it can lead to, you know, increased cancer risk. So it's one of the things, you know, we as naturopathic doctors, not just in men's health specifically, but also in just in general, we address lifestyle because we look at the whole body and how it functions and metabolic syndrome is a very prominent thing that we were working with over and over and over again. Follow-up question.
2: So I got I got one. So going with that, um my question with metabolic syndrome has always been like, is there any kind of qualifications or any kind of um like what check marks are being hit to the point where it's now becoming its own condition? Because you know, you backtrack you 10 years ago or so it wasn't grouped together in a certain like called metabolic syndrome, you know, you were getting it all individually. And I, you know, we all have seen it where the incidence of each one of these things is just kind of skyrocketing within the population. Um, so like what kind of, and this might be, you know, way, way out of everybody's like wheelhouse here, but like like, what point was it decided that these groups of conditions are going to be called metabolic syndrome?
1: I think that's a great question. I really don't know at what point that was decided that it was gonna be like, hey, these are the conditions. Um, but I think just since it started skyrocketing, I would say you know probably in the early 2000s is when you started seeing a lot more of this metabolic syndrome term starting to pop up, um, and you know with that you start seeing a little bit more of okay there's blood pressure, there's cholesterol issues, there's obesity going on, um, all of these things like you just mentioned individually they've been going on for a while, but I guess with more of the research and starting to see a little bit more of what's going on, because such a high rate of it, then uh, they started looking at the factors that actually leads to diabetes. those so things that lead to heart disease and lead to cancer. So I, really, I don't know the answer to when it actually started to be grouped and say it's metabolic syndrome, but I would suspect early 2000s when we really started looking at metabolic syndrome.
2: Yeah. It's definitely one of those interesting things because you know, even before we had this, people were getting these groups and would lead to the same thing. And you know, when you think about it theoretically, it all makes sense. You know, obesity kind of starts it up. You know, you're not being as active as you should. Your cholesterol is going to go up. Your, your blood pressure is going to rise. It's kind of kind of cascade in a sense to it. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it definitely has got to be a certain point where they were like, "Oh, this is happening pretty often." There's got to be some kind of condition we can group this under and get more people. The care they would need based on like what they're aiming towards. Um, so with that, like, is there a certain point or like a, some kind of marker that you're looking for towards the end that would kind of like predispose somebody, like, oh, they're definitely you know, aside from you know Google's monitoring, they're, they're heading towards diabetes and things like that. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain value that they hit, or is there a certain appearance you may look for?
1: So definitely, we're looking at you know weight gain. Uh, we're looking at making sure that they're not getting too much weight. So that's the obesity aspect. Uh, We're looking at, for example, CRP, high sensitivity CRP for inflammatory markers and seeing if there's anything there for heart disease or starting of like that heart disease picture um, with just inflammation. Um, We're looking at hemoglobin A1C, but we're also looking at uh, fasting insulin and making sure those are within a functional level. Once you have that hemoglobin A1C go above that 6.7 mark, you know, you're at diabetes. So if we can catch people before, like I actually wanna say before like the six mark, then you know, we can start working on lifestyle modifications, nutrition and things like that in order for them to start reversing some of these things. Um, other markers, you, want, you know, now we're looking at the lipid panel. So we're looking at LDL and HDL and triglycerides. as for example, some of those markers. Um, if we wanna go into a little bit more in depth, we can look at the Apple E and uh, small particle LDLs and things like that to see how advanced or how um, at, at what stage they're in basically. Um, and those are the main markers I look at, mainly because it's easy to order and it's not so costly, costly for patients if they're paying out of pocket. So it's something that we can just easily order and look at and get some data.
0: Right. So I did want to clarify just um, to get away from the medical speak for a second. So the CRP is your C-reactive protein, everybody. Um, That is kind of an indicator of inflammation. It can be an indicator of uh, an infection. It can be an indicator that you're putting something that is potentially uh, allergic or inflammatory in your body. So I just wanted to clarify that. Um, But that's a really comprehensive, you know, great explanation, Dr. Jorge. So What's going on guys? Thank you for tuning into the podcast. I wanted to talk to you about our amazing affiliate partner. I'm aware test kits. I'm aware offers lab quality tests accompanied by physician verified results. Just order the test kit online, collect your sample and mail it back. You'll receive your results in less than a week. The best part is no waiting in traffic getting to and from the dock or lab and no waiting rooms full of people coughing and sneezing everywhere. Just visit www.imaware.health and check out their mini lab testing kits. These include PSA tests, lipid panels, testosterone levels, HbA1c, immune function, and so much more. Use our promo code MEN'S HEALTH UNSCRIPTED for an additional 15% off. Remember, imaware.health, promo code MEN'S HEALTH UNSCRIPTED for fast, accurate, and physician-verified testing straight to your door. I kind of want to get right into our, our viewers favorite topic. I mean, it's probably our favorite topics, probably erectile dysfunction, um, just because it is a precursor to a lot of things. Um, but our viewers, I think love testosterone and who doesn't right? we're all man, this is man shit. So how can metabolic syndrome lead to decreased testosterone and don't be afraid to scare them because I want them to be healthier. Um, so get our viewers on the right track with these things can lead to low testosterone or, or you don't have to go into the full scientific cascade of things, but just a good comprehensive um,
1: knowledge. Yeah, sure. So I'll do my best. Uh, so metabolic syndrome, you know, we have these conditions occurring, right? So these conditions can lead, like I mentioned, to heart disease, can lead to diabetes, can lead to increased cancer risks. So let's start with diabetes. So diabetes is just unregulated blood sugar levels in the body, okay? That's plain and simple terms that your body cannot process the sugar well. So over time, that leads to nerve damage. It can lead to blood vessel damage. And how that affects erectile dysfunction is that you know the blood vessels in the penis are basically so small that if you start to damage those blood vessels, you're not gonna get enough blood flow to the penis. Same thing with the nerves, the nerves to the penis and the genitals really, they start to get affected by all this blood sugar dysregulation or un- unbalanced, imbalanced blood sugars. So that's how diabetes, it will track to having erectile dysfunction. And a lot of men don't know that. You know, a lot of men think, oh, it's just diabetes. I'm not gonna worry about that. Uh, it's not gonna affect me at all, but you know, it does affect you over time. Uh, not only does that blood sugar affect the erectile dysfunction, it's also going to affect your testosterone levels too, because the diabetes is going to increase or have you increase weight. Um, It's that increased weight, the adipose tissue, so that fat cells in your body are going to convert that testosterone much more quickly to estrogen. And there's an enzyme called aromatase, and that's going to convert all of that a lot more quickly. So you're going to be more estrogen dominant. So you're going to have a lot more estrogen and a lot less testosterone. So that's that diabetes portion. The obesity portion, a lot of it has to do again with uh, the aromatase enzyme. So converting that es- testosterone to estrogen, and that's just going to decrease you know o- your overall testosterone levels. Now, obesity can be a symptom of low testosterone, or it can lead to low testosterone. So there can be other factors affecting low testosterone and uh, affecting your testosterone levels. And that can just lead you to have weight gain. So not necessarily obesity, but just weight gain in general. So that's one of the symptoms of low testosterone. Um, Then high blood pressure, again, high blood pressure is gonna be affecting your blood vessels. So if you have too much pressure in your blood vessels, it's going to start damaging the walls of the blood vessels. And again, your penis has a very small blood vessels. And when you start damaging those blood vessels, you're going to start having erectile dysfunction. Um, you know, other parts of the body that you might have some issues are going to be your kidneys. You know, the kidneys are going to have, uh, if you have uncontrolled blood pressure, then your kidneys are going to start malfunctioning and you're going to have Problems with kidneys, leg swelling, uh, edema, which is the medical term for that, um, and you might have to be urinating a lot more often if you start giving if they start giving you diuretics. So, um, blood pressure is doesn't have a lot of symptoms associated with it, so you don't really know if you have blood pressure. Once it gets high enough, you might start feeling some headache or just kind of a little bit of like light, lightheadedness or dizziness, but in like Heart disease—it's a silent killer, or it's a silent disease. um, Blood pressure is so, you know, making sure that you're having your blood pressure monitored, making sure that you're looking at, you know, stress factors as well, because stress can really lead to increased blood pressure. Um, All of that will, you know, affect not only your erectile dysfunction but also your testosterone. Um, And then with high cholesterol. So high cholesterol, specifically the LDL and triglycerides, if they're high enough, you're gonna have what's called plaques form in your blood vessels. And those plaques are gonna form in just about any blood vessel. But as we're talking about erectile dysfunction in itself, again, we're going back to the blood vessels in the penis. You now, the erectile dysfunction and if it's vascular erectile dysfunction, one, that's an early sign of heart disease. All right, so I want to say that again. Erectile dysfunction it can be an early sign of heart disease, and can be an earlier sign than heart attacks. It can be an earlier sign than anything that happens in the heart, because that plaque forms in the blood vessels in the penis. Now, the plaque can also be forming in the blood vessels of the heart and blood vessels on other parts of the body, but because the blood vessels are so small in the penis, that it's going to be one of the first places that's going to get affected by any of the high cholesterol,
0: right? So kind of in a lot of our research, um, as far as men's health goes, we noticed that the vasculature of the penis, while, like you said, is smaller than what it is in the heart is actually structurally very similar, more so similar than a lot of the other vasculature throughout the body. So like veins and arteries, Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason, I think that that's why it is one of those precursors for heart disease, because if you're, if there's a plaque or a clog, as we say it sometimes in the penis, chances are there's one developing near the heart. And then also you can think of the uncontrolled blood sugar from diabetes as your blood becomes significantly more viscous and the less controlled that high blood sugar is the more it almost essentially can come be, would become like syrup. And nice. so it's, it, and I know that's kind of probably a weird thing to think about, but you have a bunch of sugar dissolved in the blood. I mean, that's <laughs> essentially what syrup is. And so as you're getting there, now you have a smaller hole or a smaller uh, blood vessel to push blood through. And now you have really thick blood that's even harder to push through. So, you know, s- symptomatically, or physiologically, it makes sense of what's going on in the body.
1: Right. So that's a great summary of like just you know what encapsulates the metabolic syndrome where we're looking at the blood vessels and what's going on with the diabetes and blood pressure and cholesterol, things like that.
2: So that's up, you know, your uh your cocks hanging down there being the meter stick for your health. And if you start to notice that meter stick getting shorter,
0: probably time for a checkup.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: So When you have a patient come in and let's say, I don't want you to give away your trade secrets or anything, but just maybe something to kind of get, uh, get our viewers thinking is when you have a patient come in and you check their testosterone, you check their general lab values, you know, blood sugar, um, lipid panel, et cetera. How are, when, when I'm sure that a lot of your men's health patients now are concerned because a lot of our masculinity is surrounded by a testosterone B, our ability to sexually perform. And it's just, it's not cause we're, you know, dirty perverts or anything, but it's just like, that is men's like, that is just how men's minds go. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of it might have to do with the media and just all the commercials that you see, you know, what is men's health right now on TV, dick pills and hair loss. You know, unfortunately, yep. that's kind of why we're in it the way we're in it, because right. we don't want men's health to be just dick pills and hair loss. And so I guess it kind of got off the track a little bit. But when you have someone come in, let's say they have a low testosterone value, they have some of these metabolic factors. What are some ways that you're helping them maybe improve that testosterone uh, short term, potentially long term and short term? You can probably pharmac- or pharmacologically replace it. Um, but long-term get them back to maybe a, a reasonable level without so much of the pharmacy if if that's possible
1: so that is i a, I wouldn't say it's a hard thing to do because a lot of men are stubborn you know we don't tend to follow a lot of orders and there's very you know there's some men that do that and there's some that don't um but looking at lifestyle really is the key to I would, I say it's the key to really working on getting those testosterone levels up and by lifestyle, I mean, how's your sleep? You know, are you getting enough quality sleep? Are you getting enough hours of sleep? Uh, Those things really do affect your testosterone levels as well. Um, Are we looking at nutrition? So what are you eating? Are you eating fast food or are you eating a more wholesome food? And I'm not saying I'm prescribing anything to people, a certain diet, but- you know, looking at what we're eating, you know, whether it's a whole plant-based food, ketogenic diet, or um, paleo, whatever, right? Eating just that nutrient-dense food is going to be a lot better than eating a lot of the fast foods that are out there. So making sure that you're eating at home versus eating out on the road. Now, there are times, there's a lot of times where we can't you know, help that, but just being mindful and working on that aspect of, you know, making sure we have a good nutrition. will you know, provide the nutrients that we need for testosterone production, making sure that our cells are healthy and things like that. Um, Weight loss. So I don't really necessarily address the weight loss, but I do stress to them that they need to do some sort of exercise, whether it's walking. A lot of the men that come in here that are overweight, I just try to get them to do some walking, whether it's 10 minutes of walking a day, 30 minutes of walking a day, something to get them physically active for a little bit of time. And then we just progressively work from there. Um, The thing that uh, the type of exercise that has been shown in research to really affect testosterone levels is resistance training. So making sure that we can start to incorporate some sort of resistance training, whether at home, I even just have them think about lifting up some jugs of water or jugs of milk at home and just doing some bicep curls with that to at least get them doing something. Um, If I can get them doing something and they can keep doing that, then there's a better chance of them moving forward and progressing to other things. So that's more of the long-term aspect of things. Um, Stress, how are they doing with their stress levels? Um, can they manage the stress levels pretty well or you know if they can't then that's definitely going to be increasing like their cortisol levels that's going to be affecting their sleep cycles that's going to be affecting their testosterone it's going to be lowering their testosterone as well so stress levels is another thing that you know we have to work on and manage that by either some meditation some yoga breath work Um, one of the things I, I joke around but it's like go out and walk in nature go out and forest, there's a um, Japanese, uh, trying to remember the name of it, but it's a Japanese practice of going, it's called forest bathing. And you just basically go out into the forest and just walk. And, you know, if you go and look at some of that research, you know, it helps decrease your blood pressure, it helps increase your immune function, it helps decrease your stress levels. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of it. But it's the Japanese forest bathing. So, um, And then mental health are we addressing some of the trauma issues? You know, If we have some sort of mental trauma, then that's also gonna not necessarily affect testosterone levels, but just affect our overall health. You know, depression is a big thing right now, um, especially after the quarantine, the pandemic, a lot of people have been isolated without a lot of that communal, uh, communal aspect. That's gonna affect our mental health. And that can you know, over time also decrease testosterone or the low testosterone we already have can lead to some of this ment- um, the depression, anxiety, and things like that. Um, vitamin D will also affect testosterone. So we want to make sure that we're looking at vitamin D levels. Um, I'm just thinking about that because it's just got really dark outside in, in Oregon and above a certain line, you know, we don't get enough vitamin D levels. So vitamin D is needed for not only immune function, mental health, but also testosterone levels. Um, and then environmental factors. Um, the environmental factors we're looking at or I'm looking at is, you know, are you eating out of plastic or heated plastic and styrofoam? Uh, what kind of deodorants are you using or any other cosmetic hygiene products that you're using? Um, shampoos and things like that. Cleaners. What else, and you know, like things that are chemical based that are around you, what are they doing to your body? So, a lot of them release what we call endocrine disrupting chemicals, like phthalates and bisphenol A, which was a big one that was mentioned a while back. Uh, those basically can either be estrogenic, meaning that they increase your estrogen levels in your body, or they can block your testosterone production, or the big one that you know mo- more people are starting to see is um, abnormal sperm production. You know, it's affecting your sperm. So that's leading to a lot of male infertility. So yeah, there's a lot of things that I look at and try to work on patients with and lifestyle in order to get to that point where, yes, okay, now we can start with testosterone or we can start with, um, I like to use ashwagandha a lot as well, because ashwagandha not only works with stress, but it also helps a little bit with that testosterone production uh, and sperm. And then, you know, we'll supplement as needed. We'll do some pharmaceutical as needed, such as the testosterone uh, uh, injections are one of the big ones that I use. Um, That and or clomiphene to help with that testosterone levels kind of increase.
0: That's pretty interesting. Do you notice once you start helping your patients kind of supplement their testosterone. Uh, I kind of, it was kind of interesting how you said you don't necessarily address weight loss, but everything that you just said kind of addresses weight loss, right? Exactly.
1: So So I don't have to address it directly because everything else will affect the weight.
0: Right, so if you're decreasing the amount of fast food you eat, you're increasing the amount of exercise you get. There's There's just a natural order of things that will ultimately help you drop a little bit of weight right right And it's really a
2: good tactical move too because like when you start talking about weight loss with patients they're like most of the time they're kind of like starting to tune out because mm-hmm. you know exactly what you're going to say to them and they probably have heard it a few times before so by right. just kind of playing that you know friendly advocate for them it definitely probably helps jog their mind in the right way right yeah.
0: so i i heard you kind of mention mental health and that's probably another discussion on its own right? Right. (laughs) That's probably another 10 discussions on its own. Right. But when you're addressing mental health with some of your patients, are there any resources that you will provide them? You know, I know counseling and therapy and processing, a lot of those things can be pretty expensive. And so what we've tried to do, at least with some of our social media outlets or just handouts that we have for some of our events is to find mental health resources that are at least accessible um, the affordability all is, it's all variable, but is there anything that you like to recommend, um, that might help some of our viewers or, or help someone that's listening to this?
1: I do. And I don't have it in front of me, but I can get that to you. There's okay. actually a website that I do like to send a lot of my patients to, um, partially because they offer like a scholarship type thing to reduce the cost of any counseling and sessions. So that is helpful for that. Um, One of the things I like about the clinic I work at is that we also have a psychologist on board. So I can refer to that psychologist in-house already so we can co-team, take care of their health. So I'm doing like the men's health and they can take care of mental health type thing.
0: That's awesome. It, It is, you know, it's unfortunate because insurance will pay out for a lot of things, but it's almost like still until I think insurance companies and other healthcare professionals get on board with how important mental health is. I don't, you know, really see it making uh, a ton of strides, um, until people are able to, instead of going to a mental health professional and just saying, Oh, you're depressed. Take this actually be able to go through process the underlying issues of depression, anxiety, et cetera.
1: Right. And I mean, like, I'll sit here and listen. So I'm actually, I'm in my office visits. I tend to go over time because I like to listen to the patient tell their story and I like to educate the patient. So I tend to go over time, but in just even in that process of listening to the patient and the office visits can last about 45 minutes to 60 minutes with us, um, that in itself can be a healing aspect of their treatment plan. Um, whether it's mental health or any other component of their health, you know, just being able to be heard is healing in itself.
0: Sure. That's really important. Um, I was actually going to ask you about that. I mean, whenever I see a doc, like when we're in the hospital or something, Cam, I'm sure you'll agree with this. I mean, that guy or gal is like in and out of that room before you even know it. And it's like, how did you even get anything done?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's you know part of what we were taught in school, you know, it's just to take your time with your patient and make sure that you get the a good history of the patient and what's going on. And really, that takes about 45 to 60 minutes to really get a good history of what's going on. You know, I don't know how doctors do it and we're five, 10 minutes, and that's it. And okay, say so that that's your diagnosis. But you no, know, we're looking, like I said, we're looking to figure out what is the root cause of things that are going on in that person, in that individual. And so a lot of it's very individualistic medicine. So we're looking at every individual and seeing, okay, what is going on with you and what contributed to what, your health and how can we overcome these obstacles to get you healthy again?
2: And that's something that takes on a personal drive as well, because it's uh, that's not something we're really kind of taught in school as well. Like we're, we're taught, you know, treat the patient as a whole, but mm-hmm. it's still very, you know, 10 minute appointment kind of based kind of situation so as students we definitely get this opportunity as we're doing you know rotations with various health groups and organizations where we're not paid for our time there so we can kind of spend a little bit more time talking to patients um hearing their kind of sides of things you may catch you know they somehow you know a patient i had somehow got a hold of an inhaler that wasn't like wasn't for him it was like duplication of therapy and mm-hmm. just talking to the guy you know going over time but talking to him you know, his friend, had, you know, committed suicide and the, the daughter gave it to him. And, you know, a little bit more emotional backstory to his to his conditions. Um, so you kind of help draw that out where if you were just doing the regular, you know, 30 minute appointment, you would have got all that. You would have just seen a medication on his list.
1: Right. And, you know, kind of looking at that situation, for example, you know, knowing a little bit of the Chinese medicine and art, you know, our studies, you know, you can look at, OK, someone's processing grief. You know what are some of the symptoms that you might see with grief now you can see some of the chest illnesses for example come out from processing grief and that's more in the chinese medicine aspect of things so it's really cool that you know if you have some of this knowledge and you actually take time to sit with the patient then you can start putting pieces together and like hey you know this person needs this and this person needs you know help in this way not just oh here's your prescription here's you know your diagnosis and that's it
0: yeah dr jorge it seems like you're That approach, and while you know some docs or insurance companies might be like, Well, to hell with that, um, you're actually building trust with your patients, so there's probably a much higher likelihood they'll at least listen to you. Because I feel like if you come into a room as a healthcare professional, I mean, I had a conversation with a guy today for 15 minutes, and it probably only needed to be it was two questions like. Mm -hmm you know, how much insulin are using at home, buddy? Like I could have just done that and then left. And, um, but I started talking to him, asking him some questions, shot the shit with him a little bit, took about 15 minutes, but you know, you notice that people will start to trust you more and they'll listen to what you have to say. So all your, your, you know, advice and clinical knowledge will go so much further rather than going into a room. You have 11 minutes to get your point across and then you're gone and then you're really probably hard to get a hold of right but um i think all those things really have kind of made patients lose trust in their healthcare providers sometimes so it's it's interesting to see that the naturopathic holistic approach is definitely adhering to hey let's take care of our patients let's give them time because if they feel like they're getting their story out. They're getting maybe some reasoning and sometimes talking helps you think through things and maybe they can talk out an issue and say, Oh, well that actually makes sense or doesn't make sense. This is why Mm -hmm. I should probably make a change rather than the, what do they call it uh, in school cam? Like the paternal, the paternal teaching method where you're basically like wagging your finger at someone telling them to change. Yeah. I think that's
2: exactly what it's called. Right. The thing is also that, uh, that follow-up because there's, especially with, you know, the male patients, a lot of times they, they're forced that one appointment. Maybe it's a yearly checkup and, but then that's it. They're lost to follow-up until maybe the next year, or, you know, maybe it's going to be a couple of years, but if they trust you, they're after to come right back to you mm-hmm. and just kind of maybe have another 15, 20 extra minute discussion, but you might get to the bottom of more stuff at that time. Yep.
1: And that's the beauty of like, just being able to build that trust and just being able to have the patients come back to you is that you can learn their history learn their health and you know something does start to change then you know you can address it with them right there and then and not oh it's one year every year kind of thing that you don't know what's going on something dramatic could have happened in the middle and you never know so yeah it's nice having the patients come to you every so often throughout the year
0: yeah i'm you know dr jorge that really uh that makes me happy um, just to hear about that. Cause I know we're, we're graduating here pretty soon and uh, who knows where, where our careers are going to take us. But I, I hope that while I do practice pharmacy, that I would be able to speak to people and kind of give them, you know, the opportunity. And I mean, pharmacists can't bill anyways. And that was kind of another reason why we started men's health unscripted was because everybody's very much so into the prescribe 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 and I every time I say a pharmacist can't bill except for like what is it like two or three services cam yeah and it really
2: depends on if there's like um, not guidelines but protocol set up
0: for that right so you can't yeah. for the most part pharmacy can't bill so everybody else who's billing for their time and prescriptions and all that and I came into pharmacy school with zero pharmacy experience like I was a I worked in, in pathology. It was probably the closest thing to healthcare that I got, but it was like in the lab working with the chemistry aspect of it, not even like patients or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I noticed is that like, we have the opportunity as pharmacists to be disruptors in that whole system. I don't know if Cam mm-hmm. agrees with me or not about this, but I'm going to say it is I that, you, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we can, we can get in there, we can say, Hey, here are, here's what's going on. You know, it's a good way to identify polypharmacy duplicate prescriptions and really kind of, I think the pharmacist, uh, feels like, you know, maybe one of those people that can help get people down to a reasonable amount of medications and to actually save their patients money on their overall healthcare cost by not having so many duplicate meds or even helping them reduce their usage or even get off it. I mean, we've talked to some pharmacists that have helped reverse people's diabetes have helped reverse people's uh, hypertension um, just by slowly titrating down, also working with a physician or another medical professional like yourself that has that broad spectrum knowledge and taking it down to, you know, we've heard stories of people that were insulin dependent, no longer needing insulin, no, not even needing metformin or anything like that. So, I feel like that's such an incredible thing that, you know, that's something that we would definitely like to pursue as our, or at least I would, as my career advances.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And talking about polypharmacy, like a lot of men don't know what they're taking medicines for. So having someone like you to kind of be able to bring up that issue, like, oh, you're taking so many medications. Let's try to bring you off of these medications would be great. You know, having that adjunctive care or co-teaming with the patients, it's great. And that's really needed.
0: So I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, Dr. Jorge sent us in the chat. I'm going to post this in the uh, in the bio as well when we post this um, podcast. So it's openpathcollective.org. That is the mental health resource that he was discussing. Is that correct, Dr. Jorge? Correct. Okay. So we will get that posted. Um, and so the information, we kind of discussed it a little bit. And, uh, so as we wind down, um, I kind of want to address, we've kind of talked about it a little bit already. It's our favorite topic. Guys here at men's health unscripted, nothing brings us more joy than helping men improve their confidence and ignite the fire within their relationships. This is why we partnered with the Phoenix pro to get you rock hard. No matter if you're struggling with ed or just want to up your game in the bedroom, the Phoenix Pro offers a pain and side effect free solution for your manhood that uses acoustic wave therapy to get you to perform at your best below the belt. The Phoenix Pro is an at home, medical grade, FDA recognized device endorsed by physicians to strengthen and enhance the blood vessels in the penis. This technology is over a decade old, but has been expensive and difficult to access. Go to rockhardscience.com. Slash MH Unscripted for more information and use our promo code unscripted for $900 off the Phoenix Pro total package, which includes the device, consultation with a medical professional, a customized medical treatment plan for your goals, $500 off additional in clinic treatments, a blue light vitality vacuum pump, some nitric oxide supplements for a little extra boost, and a journal to track your progress. Remember www.rockhardscience.com slash MH unscripted, promo code unscripted, and claim your true vitality. Um, so, erectile dysfunction, you mentioned uh, in our, our emails to kind of prepare for this podcast that there are three general causes, and we already kind of addressed one the, um, mm-hmm. the physical, right? So, right. metabolic disorder, you have your diabetes, high cholesterol and uh, high blood pressure that all contribute to, and and then obviously lowering of testosterone, which would lower your debito, l- libido right. and decrease your uh, strength and, you know, resilience of erections. And so what are the other two? So we have two more that you wanted so, to discuss.
1: So the other two are neurogenic, so something to do with the nervous system affecting your, erect- your erections. And This can be from some sort of injury to the spinal cord, or a common one would be the prostate surgeries where they remove the prostate due to like uh, BPH, the benign prostate hyperplasia, or enlarged prostate, um, or prostate cancer when they remove the prostate for prostate cancer. Um, The nerves that go into the penis into that area is going to be really close to the prostate, so they can be easily damaged through surgery. So that's another reason why you might have erectile dysfunction. there's, it's really difficult to improve that one, if at all, um, because it's just damaged nerves and nerves really don't regenerate unless you know, There's some pieces of it still together. Um, and then the last one is psychosomatic. So a lot of it has to do with stress. You know, stress can decrease your erectile function. And really, so it's going to, you know, increase, decrease your strength of it. It's going to decrease your ability to orgasm. It's going to decrease your ability to just maintain that erection. Um, other things that will do that, you know, we talked about trauma. We talked about, well, we haven't talked about this one, but porn addiction is a big one too nowadays because, you know, it's so easily accessible and a lot of people or a lot of men, I should say, um, will be watching porn and masturbating to that and that, over time can change your brain chemistry to the point where like you don't feel satisfied unless you're doing that or watching porn and then you can't perform you have issues performing so uh, that's that psychosomatic aspect of things too so uh, depression another one so the mental health aspect um, is just going to decrease your erections or the erection function just because you know you can't Enjoyed in sensation because you're depressed you know you don't have the motivation for it and things like that so so those are the two other ones that i was you know wanting to make sure i mentioned
0: we're happy you did and honestly cam the porn thing keeps coming up man it's a real problem oh, it's, it's in like every every podcast <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, i don't want to say it's funny i don't mean to laugh funny. but it's Here. just it's how much it is actually showing up on our podcast and it um so the porn addiction thing actually started with a couple of nurse friends of mine here for the regular listeners might know this, but one of, one of my nurse buddies was like, Hey, I, I think I was in my second year of pharmacy schools end of second year. And so she said, Hey, you know, we've got some patients that are healthy guys, lab values look great. Normal. You would think 25, 27 year old guys, and they're coming in asking for ED meds and, She's like, look into that. And so we, I'm like, I don't know, you know, I barely know anything. Um, and so what, what we found out is another nurse friend of mine came and said the same thing. She's like, you should look into this. Like when you're starting your men's health thing, this is probably a significant issue. Then I heard about it on the radio one morning and I was like, this is a real, it's a real problem. Talk to cam about it. We had, um, a guy named Bill Ranshaw come on our podcast and he's actually, Uh, a porn addict, a porn addict in recovery and gave us the whole reasoning behind all of it. Um, And it has just continued to spiral. And we talk to health professionals and they keep, it just keeps coming up. So it's uh, guys stop watching porn. It's a real problem. Like be there with your guy or your lady or, you know, whatever, like be there present with your lover. Um, It's not about porn. Those are actors and actresses that, they're they're paid to do that job. They're not real. I mean, the real, yeah. yeah, real people. Yeah, the real they're, people. The real people. Sorry, they're being paid
1: for the act.
0: Sure. They're um, they're paid to engage in an act, and it's um, it's exaggerated. Like you know, what what actually like real intimacy is is not what porn is, and I think that people are becoming so desensitized to. Um, pornography and seeing like you see one thing and then you have to upgrade that and like oh now I need this and then like the next thing you know it's like everybody's dressed up like a horse or a unicorn and like there's all this crazy stuff going on all Um, these
1: crazy kinks
0: (laughs) right and so uh, while there is a place for some of that I'm sure I think a lot of them have kind of people just the the bar just keeps getting set higher and higher because one thing will satisfy them and then they're dissatisfied and continually, um, going, I'm, I'm kind of wondering now if porn, if there's a correlation between porn and testosterone, um, and libido, I would like to probably look into that. Have you, have you come across any I, of that?
1: I've not really thought about that, but I'm pretty sure that there might be some studies on it. Um, or someone might be thinking about doing a study on that. So that would be a great study to do. And see how that affects testosterone and libido. And I know there's that there's studies already about the porn and libido and erection erectile dysfunction, just because it's that psychosomatic aspect of erectile dysfunction, but I don't know how it affects testosterone.
2: I think you could probably like theoretically probably cascade and you know into itself because as you start to get like dysfunction. You know, your mental health is going to decline with that. Your self-worth and value, what you hold. And that leads to, you know, the gaining the weight, the obesity, and it kind of just cascades into the self. Definitely, there's definitely a connection.
1: Yep.
0: Well, Dr. Jorge, this was um, an absolute pleasure. We'll have to do it again soon.
1: Definitely. I'll be glad you have to come back and talk some more.
0: Yeah, Yeah. maybe we can, uh, we'll figure out something we can definitely, like, hone in on and specialize. We hit a lot of broad topics today. Um, but all very good. And it was nice. Like hopefully our listeners, um, will realize that it's not just us yelling at them to get healthier and to go exercise and stop eating fast food and all that good stuff. But, you know, there's other health professionals out there that care and, um, are kind of going for the whole holistic approach rather than just saying, here's your, uh, blood pressure med and here's your diabetes med and get the hell out of here. Right. Yep. Oh, yeah, it's mm.
2: definitely a great opportunity because, you know, on the East Coast, you know, we don't have, you know, neuropaths out here. We don't have that that license, that person to talk to for that particular background. So it's definitely, should hopefully open up everybody's eyes on this side of the country that there are other health professionals that may not be in your state or in your city, depending on regulations, that there might be other options if you, you know, we move around your travel.
1: So we move we around. To to yeah, I mean, like, you know, I'm uh, there might not be naturopaths in your side of this country, on the East Coast side, but there are other doctors that are practicing a little bit more functionally. So functional medicine or integrated medicine that can help you.
0: Yeah. Dr. Garcia, one of our mentors at, at uh, the college of pharmacy, uh, she just got her functional medicine practitioner license. So I think we're going to talk to her a little bit on here soon. That should be fun. Awesome. Um, yeah. She's, she's amazing as well. Um, but yeah, so I, I know that the naturopath and kind of functional medicine does kind of coincide quite a bit. So it'd be interesting to see. Uh, I I like getting different perspectives from different people and different disciplines because, you know, it really kind of, you know, the old classic physician, um, MD, DO kind of thing. Sometimes it just doesn't work for somebody, but to have somebody like Dr. Jorge, they'll take the time to talk to you, get down to the root cause. That works. I feel like that would work for a lot more people if if, uh, that option was much more readily available. I agree. Difference. So Dr. Jorge, absolute pleasure. We'll have to do it again soon. We'll, uh, we'll hit you up on email and um, when when some free time opens up, it'll, let's hone in on something really interesting to talk about.
1: Sounds good. Look forward to it.
0: All right. Take it easy.
1: All right. You too. Take it Thank easy. You. Have a great night.
0: You too.